0: Hey there guys, um, you might be able to hear from my voice that I'm pretty crook at the moment, so it be a bit of a shorter episode this week uh, just to see how I can preserve this voice. Um, we've been doing this series about women in the New Testament and, and particularly looking at the place that women had within the early church and just how that compared generally within, uh, within the context of their ancient society. But this week I wanted to focus in on the role of women in the church itself, and specifically the role of women when it came to teaching. And I want to look at that really controversial passage that we come across in 1 Timothy 2. This is the one that um, really draws the most ire towards, certainly towards Paul, if not the whole Bible, um, this idea that women simply cannot teach men. And we see this play out in churches where um, it's simply assumed that this is how it is, that women cannot teach men. And there's plenty of churches out there that um, will not allow women to teach men. Um, if a man is in the room when a woman is teaching, then she must stop teaching. Now, I've heard context where it's, it's said that um, when a man, uh, well, if, if a man is just a boy, so under, under the age of 18, then it's fine for a woman to be teaching him because he's only a boy, but... It, once he be, turns 18 then he can no longer be taught by a woman and uh, so if a man was to walk into a youth meeting with a woman preaching then um she'd have to stop um, and this is just the way that it's it's played out in that practical pastoral sense and, and so there's there's others that just well presumably ignore it um they don't really pay much attention to it and then women still preach in their context and that's they seem perfectly fine with that so it is a challenging verse, and especially for um, you know most of this stuff in the 21st century, this idea saying that uh, a woman can't teach a man. Well, you know, if, if this is what the Bible teaches, then how is the Bible relevant? What what value does the Bible have for us if this is the sort of stuff that it's instructing? And so, there's it's a problematic verse where it's just that goes without saying. And so, I wanted just to break it down this week and just have a closer look at it and see really what's going on and if, what, if any principles, can we still draw from it? All right, so let's begin by, we'll read the whole passage and then we'll we'll look at it bit by bit. So it starts 1 Timothy 2, 9. It says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. All right, so there's a lot going on in here. and. At pretty much at every turn, there is something that's going to offend somebody. So, let's take it a bit by bit, and we'll see what we what we can come up with. So, the first section there, one Timothy two nine, says, "I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God." So, the first thing to recognize when we're reading this passage and really anything in Paul's letters is that we're talking about the behavior within the public service. So within the actual Sunday setting, this isn't referring to behavior in all times, in all places. It's referring to specifically what you do when you come to church, when you come to the public meeting, what is it you're doing there in that particular setting? Now, this is a really important thing to remember. This is in a time where public meetings were always seen with a bit of suspicion, particularly ones that were held in private houses. Remember, the churches weren't meeting in temples. They weren't meeting out in public places. They were meeting behind closed doors in people's houses. And people were welcome to come, and you know, it was kind of an open-door policy, and anyone could come into the church at any time. But it was still very secretive. It was still a sense of, well, we can't quite see what's going on in there, or you know, what are they talking about in those meetings of theirs? And in a more paranoid empire, there's always going to be some suspicion around those types of groups and around those types of meetings. And so, what Paul is always advocating for is behaviour that doesn't unnecessarily or doesn't draw unnecessary attention to the group. You've got to be. You've got to remember that. Um, what Paul really wants these, um, these churches to do is that he wants them to, you know, the message itself is already so controversial. The idea of, um, you know, worshiping somebody other than Caesar is already a controversial message. You don't want to make it any worse. You don't want to be seen to be doing other things that are undermining the social order. And particularly when it comes to women, um there were certain expectations around the roles of women and around um the way that they uh sort of conducted themselves. And so to be seen to be undermining that was was a problem. And especially if you were doing it unnecessarily, then you were just bring unnecessary attention to the community. And so one of the ways that you could do this is the way that the women dressed themselves, the way that they carried themselves in these particular services. Um, there's a couple of different ideas or suggestions made around this particular passage. One of them is that uh, during this time, during this particular period, you have what's called the New Roman Woman. Now, this is an idea that's been proposed by a New Testament scholar named Bruce Winter. And what he, what he suggests is that um, in the sort of the first century B.C., first century A.D., what you're finding is that you've got a lot of, well, not a lot, but you've got a number of elite wealthy women who are throwing off the traditional um, expectations around women. Something about the Roman empire to realize is that the Roman empire was very conservative. Um, They, even though they never, they didn't live it out in reality, they still held to this ideal that the family was the central unit, and that doesn't really change, but that the ideal Roman man is a landowner who farms his own land, provides his own food, that his women are quiet, that they're submissive, that they stay behind closed doors, um, that they don't draw attention to themselves, that they they bear children, and these very traditional, very conservative roles are what are expected. It's what the ideal is, and we saw this in last week's episode that – the what the expectations are around women are very traditional very conservative um, but what is happening in this time is that you've got families who are becoming extremely wealthy as the roman empire has been expanding and so the, some of these women are are leaving home or, or you know they're becoming adults and they're they're not getting married because they don't have to they don't they're not coming from poor families where they have to find a husband to provide for them They've got a dowry from their father, which is an incredible amount of wealth. And so they don't need to get married. They can be – they're independently wealthy and they're flaunting it. They're flaunting the fact that they don't have to be reliant on a husband. Now, this is extremely rare. Not very many women could get to do this. And so the ones that do really stand out in the society – and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no laws against it. There's nothing – they're not going to get arrested for being wealthy or for, you know – acting independently they get they're certainly well within their ability to do that but it's not very well respected it's the the traditional patriarchy the traditional conservative sort of roman idea doesn't like that Um, but nevertheless you find these women that are doing this and there's if you actually in fact if you sort of if you look at my social media the, um, the instagram um, post for this week, you'll see, um, there's, uh, I've got some photos there of, uh, I think it might've been last week's anyway, it's one of them. Um, you'll see some photos of these Roman women and the hairstyles that they're wearing. These extremely elaborate hairstyles that these, these Roman women are wearing. And the reason that they're doing that is because they can, they're getting these extremely amazingly mm-hmm. decorative, uh, hairstyles and this incredible jewelry that they're wearing. Um, because they can, because they're rich enough to. It, it's, you know, it's, it's wearing the, the Burberry jacket. Well, you, any jacket will keep you warm, but you wear a Burberry jacket because you can, because you've got the money to. You want everyone to know that I've got the money to do this and this is me demonstrating that I've got this wealth. Um, and so, again, this is these women who are uh, sort of just, just flaunting their wealth and they're doing it, again, because they can. Well, what Paul's saying to these women in the in the church is, look, just when you come to church, maybe just don't flaunt it. Um, if you've got the wealth, that's fine, but just just don't flaunt it. Don't, yeah, don't don't show off. If you don't have to, sh- if you don't you don't have to show off just for this one hour. Just don't do it. <clears throat> but even more than that, the thing about um, the Christian communities is that you've got these. Um, this real disparity of, of wealth. You've got wealthy people in the church, but you've also got extremely impoverished um, people in the church at the same time. And, and all of these people are sort of coming together into this one place. And so just when you come into church and you're really and you're flaunting your wealth and, and just how rich you are, that's, that's fine out in public. If you want to do that out in public, that's fine. But when you come in here, it just makes everybody else look bad. It just makes everybody else feel poor. It just reminds them that you're better than them. There's no other need. There's no other reason why you need to be doing this other than showing off. But in doing that, you're reinforcing your superiority over your sisters in Christ. That's just not good. That doesn't bring sort of the unity that Christ wants to bring about in his communities. And so just for this sort of hour or so, this couple of hours that we come together for church, just this, just once a week, just when we come together, could you just chill out? Could you just hold back on the, the showiness of what you're doing just to sort of at least bring some semblance of unity within the group? Just make the make the attention not so much about you and your wonderful hairstyle, but maybe just make it about Christ. Just for this couple of hours when we come together for church. So Paul's saying, look, just the, the priority here is when we come to church, the priority is, the, is is act in a way that demonstrates worship to God. That's really it. That, that's all we're asking for here. Just let's turn the focus back on God for this short period of time. And then after church, go and do as you please. That's fine. But just for this short time, just bring the attention back to God. Okay, so I just had a quick look, and it's actually last week's post. Um, you'll see that on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, just go look, so go look for the New Testament story over there, and you'll see some pictures of um, of just these women and these incredible hairstyles that that they were wearing at the time. Um, it was really quite a quite a remarkable feat. Um, but anyway, let's let's move on. So, one Timothy two eleven it says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. All right. So we read this today and what offends us or the thing that stands out to us is that she has to be quiet and submissive. Isn't that just such a typical misogynistic thing that Paul would say that women have to be quiet and submissive? Okay, in the 21st century, sure. All right, that's, that's going to come off pretty poorly. The thing that would have been most shocking to anyone in the first century when this was written would be the fact that a woman has to learn. Or she gets to learn. In fact, the assumption is she is learning, because the the reality is, is that in the ancient world, women don't get an education. Why give an education to somebody who's never going to use it? Educations are incredibly expensive. In fact, most people don't get an education. Only a very few percent, a very small percentage of the population, can even afford an education in the first place. You know, 90 plus percent of the human population are put to work as soon as they're old enough to work. I'm talking like eight, nine, ten years old. They're put to work in the family business. They're not going to go to school. That's not something that's ever going to happen because, well, we can't afford to. We We need them working. That's why we had kids, to create workers for the family business. So girls don't get an education, that's just not something that is ever going to happen for them except for maybe a few A few wealthy women may get an education but again for what? The assumption is that she's going to get married, she's going to be having children, she's going to be organising and running a household. What is it she's going to learn that is going to be of any benefit to her? Um, the only education you really get is for public life. It's to go into politics. She's not going to do that. She can't go into politics. Women that that's not a space that women get into. So there's no education that's of any benefit to her anyway. Um, and so a woman just simply doesn't learn. Most people don't, but especially women just don't get educations yet in the church. The the assumption is that 100% of the women in the church are going to get educated That's the primary focus of what the church is. It is a place of learning. It is an educational center. Uh, And so the assumption is she's learning. This is what is so unique about the Christian community is that she's going to learn. Uh, And so what Paul's saying here is that learn, that's the default positioning that you are going to be in, but do it in such a way that is quiet and submissive. Now, a couple of things that are going on here. One of the things that we know is happening in 1 Timothy is that there are some false teachers in the community. So 1 Timothy is written to Timothy uh, Timothy's in Ephesus at this time. He's he's got some he's got a church there or maybe a group of churches. And we know from the letter that there are some false teachers um, getting around who are deceiving the women there. Um In fact, it says in 2 Timothy 3, 6 to 7, it says, For for from these are those who slip into houses and captivate foolish women loaded down with sins, led by various kinds of desires, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so there are some men, some false teachers, who are coming into the houses, who have been invited into the houses of these women, and who are teaching them false ideas. Now, why are they... Why are they um, uh, picking on the women or why are they uh, getting into, um, deceiving the women? Well, because the women are the ones who are at home. They're the ones in the houses and they're bringing these teachers in because they've maybe got a bit more time on their hands to come in and teach them these false ideas. Um, the men are obviously out working. They're out in the fields. They're out fishing. They're out doing the daily tasks of making money, working sunrise to sunset. Um And so these women are at home um, and they're vulnerable to this sort of manipulation. So this is what is already happening in the church. Women are being led astray by false teachers and they're being led into false doctrine. And so that's that's the immediate threat to the church. So these women are learning, but learning wrong ideas. And so what Paul is saying here is, first of all, learn, but learn in quietness and in full submission. So for what is... Um, What he's telling them here is to learn proper doctrine. Learn from proper teachers. Learn from the endorsed teachers of the church. Don't let these false teachers and their false ideas get in and manipulate you. Learn proper doctrine, but also learn in a certain way. First of all, learn quietly. So this this, this quietness that he talks about, it's this word eschios. Now, we see... Uh, a similar situation in 1 Corinthians 14 where we've got a um, women are being told there again to learn in, in silence to learn uh, to learn quietly now the word itself this word eskios, it's not saying that she must shut up and never speak it's not saying that when she steps into the church she cannot speak I mean that's just a ridiculous idea I mean if that was the case then how do you even, how do you even police that? What does that even look like? What is it the, the minute a woman comes to church, she can never say a word. Like where does that even start? Is it in the car park? Is it, in the, is it in the church building? I mean our church, we meet in a school hall. So what does that mean on Sunday when we have church there that the women aren't allowed to speak when they're in the school hall but then through the week when it's a school hall they're perfectly fine to, to speak there? Like what does that even mean? What are we even talking about here? but it's not what the word is saying. This word eskios, it just means don't be disruptive. It's not shut up and never speak. It's just don't be disruptive when somebody's trying to teach. Now, we've got four kids and we're always telling them to be quiet. No, we're not saying don't ever speak again. What we're saying is that when the four of you are all speaking at the same time it's impossible to make sense of what any one of you are saying so how about you just stop and just speak one at a time or you know if you're just constantly talking when we're trying to concentrate it's really hard for us to concentrate so we just need you to be quiet for a minute so we can concentrate and then you can talk talk when it's an appropriate time so it's just don't be disruptive and in this, in this immediate context, it's learn in a context of teaching and don't be disruptive. Don't talk when the person is trying to teach you. Now, why would they be doing this? Well, because as I said before, they've never been to school before. They don't know how to comport themselves in school. So Paul's saying, look, just when somebody's up there teaching, just don't be disruptive. That's all it is. And the benefit to you is that if you're not disruptive when somebody's teaching, you actually learn what's been said. You, you actually can hear what's been said because you're not trying, constantly talking over the top of whoever's doing the talking. So this is, just good, this is just common sense. This is what you would say to anybody in a context of, of learning. But he also says in full submission. Well, full submission to what? Well, if you're going to be cynical, you're going to say, oh, well, that's just being submission to the men. Well, he doesn't say that doesn't say that at all. He just says, in quietness and in full submission. Well, the submission there would be to what you're learning. Be quiet. Don't be disruptive when somebody's trying to teach you proper doctrine. That way you can learn it. And then having heard it, having learned it, be in submission to it. Live according to it. Understand what, false, what the proper doctrine is. Learn what it is, know what it is, and then live by it. Well, that's just good advice. That's advice for anyone in any time, male or female. Everyone needs, to, everyone needs to be reminded of that because that's just good advice. Now, why is he picking on the women? Well, because they're the ones that were doing it. If it was the men doing it, he'd be talking to the men. But it's not the men. It's the women who are doing it. So he's saying to the women, just learn in quietness and in submission. It's just simply good advice. Okay, so he goes on in verse 12. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Okay. This is the controversial verse, of, obviously. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Well, There's a couple of key terms in here that are really what really – the, 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 these are the terms that we really need to understand in order to, uh, to, to really apply this verse properly. So this is first of all, I do not permit. Well, this word "permit" is the word "epitrepo." Now, there's a big difference between "I do not permit" and "I forbid." This idea of "I do not permit" it's not a permanent banning. It's not saying all women in all times, in all places, in all contexts can never teach a man. First of all, he's not talking to us; he's talking to women in the first century, specifically women in Ephesus in the first century, specifically within that particular church context. And what he's saying to them is, I, I simply don't permit them. Now, what this is talking about is a temporal um, prevention. It's not a banning. It's not forbidding. It's a temporal, You're just for the moment, you're not to teach, just for this particular period of time. Now, why would he be saying this? Well, because we just just explained that they're learning false doctrine. So the first thing they need to do is learn. Learn what proper doctrine is. And until you know what that is, don't teach. That's just good advice. Because if what you're teaching is wrong, then you shouldn't be teaching. Now, what's interesting to me is that the fact that he's saying that I do not permit them, we, the fact that he's, he's having to... Um, uh, not perm- or, or sort of withhold them from teaching in this instruction would suggest that they probably were already teaching. They probably had already been teaching, except they were teaching the wrong doctrine. And so what he's saying is that you need to learn, first of all, learn proper doctrine so you know what you're talking about, and then until you do that, don't teach. But again, that's just good advice. That just That's just straightforward advice of... Learn proper doctrine, and then uh, and then teach when you know it. So first of all, it's it's not a permanent thing; it's it's a temporary um, prevention. But then he says, "Or to assume authority over a man." This is the really important one because we take from this the idea that women can't lead men, and it's amazing to me that this um, this idea is. It, broadened out to all places in society. Um, you get the, 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 the suggestion that women in any context can never lead a man based on this particular verse, and it's, it's really quite remarkable because it's just not really – it's not at all what he's saying. In fact, you, the, one of the clues, if you look in uh, your Bibles, I know the NIV does it, but there will often be a, a footnote next to this word, and the footnote will say something like, um, in, uh, in a domineering manner. Um so it's even right there in a lot of your English Bibles but where that comes from is from this particular word authority or assume authority the word itself is the greek word authenteo so authenteo it's an un, it's it's a rare word in fact the first time it turns up in greek literature is here um it's a word that's never really seen before And then after that, it turns up about another 300 times in the existing Greek literature that we have, always around, always within Christian literature. But this word, alphenteo, every single time it turns up, what it refers to is leadership that has been abused, it's leadership that is abusing the people that it's leading. So you're in a place of leadership over somebody and you're just quite simply abusing them. You're leading in such a way that is maybe manipulative or at the very, just in general is has a negative outcome to the people that you're leading. So it's not talking about leadership in general. What it's talking about is being in a position of power and using that place of power to abuse the people that you're overseeing. It's, so it's always, always, always a negative thing that has been referred to here. So he's not talking at all about women leading in general. He's talking about women leading men in a way that is abusing the men. It's bad behavior. Now, again, why doesn't he pick on the men for this? Well, because the men aren't the ones doing it. It's the women that are doing it. There seems to be a group of women in this church in Ephesus who, are, um, who have been manipulated, who have been taught false doctrine, And as a result of that, they're teaching these wrong ideas, but it's also playing out in their behavior. Not only are they teaching bad ideas, but they're leading in such a way, they're leading particularly the men in such a way that is abusing the men. And so this is just altogether bad behavior. It's altogether just negative um, behavior that these women are demonstrating. So it's altogether bad. All of it is just altogether bad behavior and it's detrimental to the church community. And so this is what Paul's trying to address. It's a specific group of people in a certain place in a certain time who are acting in a way that is threatening that particular community. And so he says, again, she must be quiet. Well, quiet as the same word as we saw before, this word eschios. So she just needs to be quiet. She needs to be undisruptive. She needs to take a step back, learn proper doctrine, and then, in the meantime, don't teach, and certainly don't be abusive towards the men, but act in such a way that is Christ-like. Act in such a way that is just teaching proper doctrine, and 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 acting in a way that demonstrates the love of Christ. So again, I can't stress this enough. This is a specific situation in a specific time and place um, that's addressing a particular group of people who are acting in a way that is altogether bad behavior and and behaving in such a way that is terrible in any context in any time and in any place this well as we'll see when we come to the principle later on this is something that it can apply that can apply to um, all churches even today but not in the way that we've typically been applying it and so what was this wrong idea that these women were were learning or what was it that was perhaps causing them to um, to act in such a way? Well, the clue might be in the next verse. So verse 13 says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, a more um, reading reading of this passage will sort of see this as Paul reinforcing the idea that women can't lead men. Because women were... The woman was created out of Adam, therefore she's, um, she's inferior, she's subservient, she's a second, she's lesser than him. He's naturally geared to, le- uh, to lead her um, because of the creation order. It's probably not what's going on here. Um, this is a correction, this is clearly a correction to this particular group of women... And the correction seems to simply be a wrong idea about the creation order. And so the alter- opposite to this is that Eve was created first, then Adam, and Adam, Adam was the one deceived and not the woman. Well, we know that from Genesis 1 that it was the opposite way around, that Adam was formed first and then Eve came out of him and then she was the one that was deceived. What is likely happening here is that the idea that these women have been received is the opposite is that um, she was created first and then the man was the one deceived. And so therefore she should have this place of leadership. She should have this um, well just uses this to justify her abusive behavior. So this seems to have become um, her basis for the way that she's been behaving. And at the very least it's false doctrine because it's just simply not true. It's just completely wrong. That's not what Genesis actually says. And so she's got this false idea in her head, or these women have got this false idea. But what's worse about this is that it's playing out in this abusive way. And so Paul's simply correcting this false doctrine that is leading to all of these problems in the first place. And so he's just fixing that up. He's, he's correcting that um, because the basis for all of this behavior that he's trying to deal with is stemming from this bad idea so this again this verse is not just the justification for why women can never ever lead a man it's just it's simply not what he's doing here this is simply saying no no no. this is the wrong idea you've got get the right idea teach that and then teach humbly learn humbly teach humbly and we'll be in a much better place as a church and so he finishes it off in verse 15. He says, "But women women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety." Now this is such an unusual verse, and it seems it's, it's a strange one. It, it seems to be quite out of place. First of all, I mean, what is what's the implication of this? Well, at a basic black and white reading, and if, if and the, the sort of the black and white reading that we've that insists that women can never lead a man, What this would be saying is that women um, can only be saved if they have children. They'll be saved through childbearing, um, you know, so long as they continue in faith, love, and holiness, but they need to be also having children as a means to their salvation. Well, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, I mean, just at a simplistic level, how, how does that even work? You know, what about women who can't have children? Um, it just doesn't work that way. It it's just it makes no sense. Um, but again, I mean, that simplicity reading is, is certainly not correct. What he's saying here is, well, well, all the context that we need to remember here is that this is a time where one in 50 women are going to die in childbirth. That's just your reality. Um, if you remember, Ephesus is um, well, the primary or the patron goddess of Ephesus is the goddess Artemis. Uh, If you remember from Acts 19, when they have that huge riot, it's related to the goddess Artemis and her her great temple there in Ephesus. Now, Artemis was the goddess of childbearing. Uh, And so the idea of, um, you know, death in childbirth and just childbirth in general is going to be very prominent in that city because your patron goddess is the goddess of that particular thing. Um, So you've got women who... When you become pregnant, the assumption is that this is this could be how I die. That's just standard for all women in the ancient world. Now, take that one step further. When a woman does die in childbirth, whose fault is that? What what what's happened there? Now, you, this is in a time before you understand. you know, sort of the natural medical causes of these things. The assumption is in some people's minds that the gods have cursed you. The gods are punishing you. That's why you died in childbirth. You know, Artemis hasn't protected you. Artemis, the great goddess of childbirth, has let you die. You must have offended her. There's no other explanation for it. You've clearly offended Artemis and this is her punishment to you. You've died in childbirth. Well... Come over to the Christian context, and Christian women are not invulnerable to the same thing. Christian women are going to die in childbirth at the same rate as non-Christian women, only they're saying, well, we don't worship Artemis anymore, we worship Jesus, and yet we're still dying in childbirth. Well, maybe this Jesus character does the same thing. Maybe he's cursed us. Maybe maybe we've offended God. Maybe that's what's going on here. Because it was Artemis that killed us before. Maybe it's this new God that's doing the same thing. And so Paul's correcting, uh, the simplest answer is that Paul's just correcting another wrong idea. This idea amongst some of the women that says that if we die in childbirth, then Jesus must have condemned us to hell. No, that's not it. You'll be saved through childbearing. Whatever the, ca- whatever the outcome, you'll be saved through it. You, you're not going to go to hell if you die in childbirth. It's, it's a tragedy but you will still be saved even if you die through that process. But your salvation is not going to be reliant on anything related to your childbearing. It's got nothing to do with that. You'll be saved through childbearing, whatever the outcome, whether you die or whether you live through childbearing, you'll be saved through that process so long as you continue in faith, love, and holiness. Well, that's how everyone is saved. We're saved through faith, love, and holiness. That's how we maintain our salvation and so for you women you will so long as you do those things you're always saved even if you die in childbirth you will still be saved through that process so it seems to be at the simplest a a correction of another wrong idea that these women have um within the church so probably these last two verses just a correction of false doctrine that these women are carrying around and so again it's it's a another um sort of reinforcement of the idea that you've got these women who are teaching, teaching ideas. I mean, imagine you've got two ideas. One, you've got women who are saying that um, Eve was formed first and that Adam was the one who sinned. Therefore, we can uh, be abusive towards the men um, in the way that we lead them, but also teaching the other women that if you die in childbirth, it's because Jesus hates you and he's going to send you to hell. Well, all of that is altogether bad. You have the women teaching those ideas in the community. That is altogether bad in every way, shape, and form. You can't teach those ideas. And so what you need to do is to take a step back, learn in quietness and full submission to proper doctrine, then you can come in and teach. Then you can come back in and, uh, and teach and lead um, from a place of truth, from a place of proper doctrine. All right, so what are the principles that we can take from this for today's church? Well, I would suggest that the principle is not that women can never teach and lead a man. Uh, it's, it's just this verse to me just simply doesn't justify that sort of idea. Um, that's just it's, It just it just doesn't work from this passage. It's, it's just simply not what it's dealing with. If this is dealing with a, a particular time, particular place in the first century um and that's where it needs to remain but like all of these passages there is a principle there are principles that we can take from this that do apply today well the first one would be act modestly when you come into church don't carry yourself in such a way that draws all the attention to you um you know don't don't carry yourself in a way that makes everybody else feel inferior and that draws the attention away from the reason why you are at church, which is for Jesus Christ. That's just not good form. Don't. And, and this is true for men and for women. It happened to be the women who were doing it in this context, but this is true for anyone in any place. When you come to church, I mean, how are act acting out in public, in your daily lives, whatever, that's fine. You carry on as you are. But just when you come to church, just act in a way that brings all the attention back to Jesus Christ. That's not a big ask. All right, just for a couple of hours a week, just focus, just let the let the attention go to somebody else apart from yourself. Again, that's that's not a terribly strenuous ask that Paul is putting that Paul is doing here. But secondly, teach, but teach proper doctrine, learn proper doctrine, and teach proper doctrine. Uh, whether you're a man or a woman, if you're in a place of teaching, learn proper doctrine and teach proper doctrine. Um, it's not complicated. And, and this is true for all times and all places. This is true for men and for women. In the modern church, the men are just as guilty as the women are of this. Um, everyone is, there's no, this has got nothing to do with gender. This has just got to do with your ability to sit down for long enough to learn patiently and learn properly, then go ahead and teach. And when you lead, when you teach and lead, do it in a way that builds the community up. Don't do it in a way that tears them down. Don't do it in a way that's abusive. Do it in a way that builds up those people that you're teaching and leading. Now, again, this is pretty straightforward advice. This is a good good advice for any time and any place. And it just happened to be that in 1 Timothy, it was a particular group of women that needed to hear this at that particular time. Well, anyway, I hope that's been helpful. Um, I'm sure that by next week, my voice will be in much better shape. Um, but thank you for, for bearing with me for, for the time today. Um, but anyway, all the best, and I'll see you next week. Bye bye.